morning uh, if we're able. Part D, part D, okay, on this new earth, this new world, there'll be a lasting comfort, a lasting comfort. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can you see a contradiction in verse 4? Have a look closely. Between the yellow, yellow and the white, there's a contradiction. Thank you, Morag. How can you have tears? Okay, it is no more. How can he wipe away tears? It is no tears there in the beginning. So remember, this is imagery. So two images, okay? So Revelation 21, 4 has given us two images. And Revelation often does this. The images seem to contradict each other. At one time, Jesus is spoken as the lamb. And another time, he's spoken of as the lion. And how can a lamb be a lion? Okay, you can have, it mixes metaphors because you're using imagery and you can change between imagery. One minute there's no crying, the other minute you're wiping away tears. Two images. What do the two images tell you about heaven? Those two images. No crying, tears being wiped away. Put them together, what do you get? It's a picture of the curt word? Comfort, thank you. I gave you the answer. It's there on the board. Okay, it's a picture of comfort. In heaven, there's comfort. Now, for there to be comfort, if I, if I was comforting somebody here, look at Paul Lee, he looks like he needs cuddling and comforting and just hugging. Okay, if I was doing that to Lee, okay, what does I need? For that to, if I'm offering comfort, it's comfort from something. Can you see? It needs a context. Would you agree? If you're comforting somebody... There's a context which requires comforting. Do you get the point? If you're wiping away tears, you've created a context. Okay, what is the context? See, if in heaven we've been comforting, having tears wiped away, it means there's a context. Otherwise, there wouldn't be tears to wipe away. Okay, okay, what is the context? Someone give me the context. Yes, of when. Yeah, yeah, that is it. Pain and suffering of when? Former things, thank you. The idea is we arrive in heaven not with a blank background, like we've just been born, like we've got no history. No, no, here's a reality about the future Christian. We arrive there with what? Baggage. Baggage, with everything from life. Everything, okay? And just think of all the baggage you've been carrying. I mean, unless you're really young, okay? Obviously not talking to my friend Lee, okay? Unless unless you're really young, okay? I had this this boy in my old church once years ago uh, uh, said his favorite line of amazing grace, uh, uh, how sweet they are. His favorite, about eight, his favorite line was, uh, I've been through many toils. Is it, how's it go? Though through many toils and dangers I've already come, that's it. Through many tours and dangers I've already come. He was an 80-year-old. He said that was his favorite line. Like, I'm like, what toils and dangers have you been through, mate? Okay? Look, if you're of any age, you've gone through toils and dangers. You've gone through heartache, divorce, the loss of children, the loss of relationships, homes, jobs, Okay? We all carry a huge amount of baggage. Some of us are carrying all those things mentioned virtually. I meet some people whose lives are just 
an image of suffering, untold suffering. Heaven, friends, we enter heaven with all of that, with the knowledge that our lives have been painful and hard, with loss, with suffering. Oh, we'll enter, look, if we go there with knowledge, and I'm certain we do, we'll enter heaven knowing, in some cases, that wives or even children haven't made it to heaven. We'll go there knowing that our loved child who rebelled against Jesus in his teenage years hasn't made it. And so it's in that context when we get to heaven, can you see what Jesus is saying to us? What will he do? What will he do for you? What will heaven be for you against that backdrop? In his arms, in his presence, in his company. It will be comforting. It will be embracing. And, and, and Look, he's not going to make it disappear. But he provides comfort. Yes. Um, and we will do that perfectly in heaven. Look, look, most, a long number of you here have had kids, okay? We've got kids right now, okay? Uh, uh, that in there. Uh, and we are looking after them, promise you, okay? But we charge, as you leave, we charge $100 per child. So if you left your child and you signed, were you aware when you signed your name? You were signing up to $100 per child for the care we provide them, okay? Denise, can you make sure no one leaves, okay? Right, okay, so uh, I've got to catch up now where I was in my sermon. Look, here we go. Look, if you've had a child, uh, you know what it's like. Uh, a young child comes home from school. I think we'll have a picture there. A young child comes home from school. Your little daughter, she's bawling her eyes out. You, you embrace her. You pick her up. You embrace her. And, and you ask, don't you, what's the matter? Okay? And, and, and she manages to get out, you know, Liz. I'm thinking of you. <laughs> Liz. She's been bullying me again, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, and look, uh, so what do you do? What do you do? What do you say to your child that moment? Someone tell me. I mean, your parents. What do you say? Don't worry. Don't worry. Why? Yeah, and because you're now where? Yeah, you're now at home. And Liz can't get you anymore now. Can you see? You know, and eventually the child, you put them down, don't you? And you wipe the tears away and they're safe. Liz can't get into this house, okay? It's way away. And so they are comforted. When we get to heaven, Jesus comforts us with his words. And because we're now in an environment where Liz can't get you. Do you see the point? There's no devil there. There's no evil there. There's no bullies there. There's no loss there. We're going to look at all that in a minute. But there's comfort because you're in a place where nobody can get you anymore. You're in Jesus' arms. Lasting comfort. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Christian, one day we will finally find comfort. I often wonder, and I, we can't be sure, but let me ask you this question. What, what is, as a Christian particularly, what is the one aspect of our suffering that particularly deepens suffering? You're a Christian, you're on the grace suffering. 
What's one of the things that particularly aggravates our suffering? The loneliness in suffering, that's certainly one, thank you. Some more, loneliness. I'm thinking of one definitive one that as a Christian, different to non-Christians perhaps, that, that aggravates you. There's that, that it does. What's the, what's the one thing, as a Christian, that you may be wondering, wondering about your uh, suffering? Yeah. Why? Why, God? Uh, I serve, I sing, I do IT, I preach, I hoover, I clean the toilets. I don't do all those things, I'm just pretending. Okay, but, 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 but the point is, okay, uh, the point is, can you see? What is one of the toughest things about our suffering? It's Jesus, Why? Why? We never get an answer. Rarely get an answer. I wonder if part of this comfort in heaven that we receive is, is the comfort of, of finally seeing what the madness has all been about. Finally, getting a, an eternal perspective that we can't have now. Look, who here has seen uh, that classic film, The Karate Kid? Okay, okay, if you're as old as me, 21, okay? If you're as old as me, you know, this would have been the film of your, you know, of your childhood, The Karate Kid. This is Mr. Miyagi, okay? Come on! And... Daniel's son, okay? Okay, that's what Mr. Migawi, Migawi, I can't pronounce it now myself, says it, okay? Okay, so look, Daniel has been beaten up by mates at school. He's new into the area. And one day, uh, just when he's been beaten up, Mr. Miwagi, that's how you pronounce it there, Miwagi, uh, comes to his rescue, does his kung fu fighting, the type that Jenny does, okay? Okay, on, on jingo, okay? <laughs> that's what he tells me, Jenny, okay? okay. Yeah, and he saves her, right, saves him. And then he says, look, you've got to help me out, you've got to teach me some karate. You know, what if these guys beat me up again? And so he finally... He agrees, he, and he goes, come to my house in the morning. Daniel turns up, you know, thinking he's going to learn karate, and the first thing he's given is a little sanding pad. Two. And he goes, see the deck? Sand the desk, like, deck like this. Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, sand on? Sand off. Okay, no, no, that's it. Sa it's together, like it. Graham's in the film recently, okay. So he does it for the whole day. At the end of the day, he's scratching his head and thinking, what's going on here? Anyway, come back the next day. He's bound to learn karate today. So now he's got to paint the fence. Puts a brush in his hand. Okay, paint the fence up, paint the fence down. Paint the fence up, paint the fence down. And again, and it's, what's going on here? This isn't karate. Comes back the next day. This time, he's got to wax the car. Okay, wax on. You've got to see the film, okay? Wax off, okay? Wax on. Wax off. By the third day, he's had it. Okay. He's ready to walk out, and he says to Mr. Miwagi, you know, what's going on here? You told me you'd teach me karate. And as he's about to walk out, Mr. Miwagi says, okay, Daniel, come here. He goes, show me paint the fence. Okay. And he's going, he goes, no, show me paint the fence properly. Okay. So he paints the fence. And as he does each of these movements, look, I'm not a karate expert, okay? As he does each of these movements, they are, in fact, what? If you've seen the film, they are, in fact, 
They are defensive karate moves. By those exercises, he was creating muscle memory so that in a combat situation, he was fully trained to defend himself. And all of a sudden, in the scene in the movie, he can do all these karate moves because he learned muscle moves. The point I'm making, friends, is that Daniel finally saw the reason behind all that scrubbing, all that heartache, all that elbow grease, all that toughness. I wonder, uh, we can't be certain what this comfort involves, uh, but it, it would seem safe to conclude, friends, that as a part of the comfort, when we're in heaven, we know there's loved ones who aren't there. When we're in heaven, we remember how much God seemed to have abandoned us, how hard it really was, how close you came to giving up, how much loss you suffered personally, how you suffered alone, how no one knew. What anguish you were going through each Sunday you sat in church. Maybe Jesus was finally as a part of that process of healing. Give us sight. Give us insight. That, my son, is what that was about. That's why. That's why. Now do you see? Now do you understand? That's what I was doing with you. There was no other way. It had to be that journey for you. In heaven, friends, in the new world, there'll be lasting comfort where pain is forever eradicated, a lasting comfort. Let's move on. The next quality, and really it's, 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 it's a spin-off now uh, of this comfort. And the next two points really are an elaboration of what this comfort may entail. So this next one is this. It's the death of death. Can you see what we're saying there? It's the death of death. Aristotle, one of the things you, you do in theology, you look at philosophy uh, at Bible college, came across a number of philo uh, th uh, philosophers. Aristotle, most of you would have heard his name. Okay, he went to the school of Socrates, another great philosopher. Aristotle, born in 383 BC, became the quintessential philosopher, if you like, made more contribution to a variety of sciences, almost every science you could name. Look, let me just give you some. Uh, he, he made contribution to music, rhetoric, ling linguistic, politics, poetry, theater, mathematics, zoology, biology, logics, ethics, physics, almost every area of discipline it is, he made contributions to, and particularly to Western philosophy. Aristotle, where does he live now? Where can I find him? What's his address? Liz, what is his address? You can't tell me, can you? Because he's dead. He's dead. Let me tell you about Isaac Newton. Any interesting science there? An English physicist, mathematician, widely regarded as the most influential scientist of all time. A Christian too. Born 1643. Where does he live? What's he writing now? Uh, what book is he working on, George? What book is he writing at the moment? 
It's not, is it? Because he's dead. He is dead. William Shakespeare, English poet, perhaps the, the, the greatest writer of English literature, they say. Okay, that, that Britain certainly has produced. He's the national poet of England. He was born in Stratford-upon-Avon uh, uh, in 1564, which was down the road from where I lived. Okay? Naomi and I went to see him a few years ago. So I asked him to sign one of his books. Where was he? He's dead. What about Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln, you know of him? The bearded guy? Not Jingle, the original one, okay? Okay, Abraham Lincoln, right. One of the greatest, if not the greatest president of the United States of America was, was absolutely pivotal in the Civil War and particularly in the abolition of slavery, okay? Where's he governing now? He's dead too. Let me ask you, what is going on? Tell me what is going on. Why are they all dead? Seriously, has anybody ever stopped to think what is going on? Why are they dying? Okay, let me give you one more illustration. I'll give you someone close to home. Uh, let's look at a young person because they, they're obviously going to be here. I was going to tell you about Lisa, a friend of ours, Lisa Wareham. She, here she is, and this is a picture in our last church. There's Lisa, a lovely lady married to our friend Nick. Okay, Lisa was born in 1980, 1980 I think. There's a, one of her kids, a twin, Aaron. Okay, great family. Came to a church, had great interest in the gospel. The last time I saw her, Born in 1980, the last time I saw her was in 2015 in a hospital ward in Glencluid in North Wales. I was with the family when they turned off her life support machine and the spectrogram went from a wave to a flat line as Lisa, just age 35, died. They remember their fourth anniversary death just a couple of weeks ago. Someone tell me what on earth is happening to us? What is happening to us then? Yeah, so we're dying. Okay, why? Look, who here? Okay, I'm going to embarrass you now. Who here thinks death is natural? Okay, yeah. Who here thinks death is natural? Okay, it's not natural. Who on earth makes something to die? Who would you, Rob, would you do that? If you contain infinite power, would you make something so that it decayed, broke down, and died so that you could bury it and forget about it? Why would you do that? What kind of comedian does that? Can you see the point? We've got to get it through our heads, friends. What is happening globally to Aristotle, Shakespeare, Isaac Newton, uh, Abraham Lincoln, to our friend Lisa, 
is a plague on our world. It's a disease. It's unnatural. It was never meant to be. And it's destroying, ravaging our planet. Let me give me the statistics. Uh, what, what are the stats for death? Out of 100, how many die? 100. It's the ultimate statistic. It's not natural. It was never meant to be. We sit out at the funeral once, and I heard the craziest thing. I nearly yelled out. Death is the natural thing that we all face. No! It's a plague. Who here enjoys death? It's destroying God's creation. Do you remember Jesus when he went down to Lazarus' tomb on day four? And in, in John, uh, John 11, he says that, that when he stood by the tomb, he was moved. Do you, do you know those verse in John? Someone tell me what that means from the Greek. Okay, look, sorry. You, okay, just have a guess. Uh, someone tell me. Some, what emotion? No. No, oh, you think it's grief. Someone else have another guess. Have a guess. No, all those things are present, but that one word there in that moment has one specific emotion. Someone tell me. Have a guess. Anger. Anger. Why? Because what was Jesus? What did Jesus see when he came to the? What did he see? He did. He saw Mary, Martha, the crowds. What did he? He saw and felt. Because God in the human form, in human body, felt and witnessed what, what Satan had done to his world. And he said, when he said he was moved, he was angry at the destruction of death. Death is not natural. Here's, what it's, here's this history. Genesis 3, Sarah read it for us earlier. Thank you, Sarah. He goes, as a result of Adam's fall, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. For since, you, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Death is a contaminant. It was introduced, not at creation. At what stage in creation was death introduced? On the fall, in the fall. It means before the fall, how long would Adam have lived? How long would his sons have lived? How long would you have lived, Sylvia, if it hadn't been for the fall? Forever, forever. Okay, you're wondering how we would have, how we would all managed to live on such a small planet. How would the universe have, have accommodated trillions of people by now? Because we weren't dying. Come on, Sylvia. How would the universe have accommodated trillions upon trillions upon trillions of people? Why do you think there are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of planets? The universe is there for our habitation. Okay, so no, death was introduced. It was put into the system. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a contaminant. And it destroys and corrupts and decays and ruins God's creation. It happened thousands of years ago. Let me ask you, what does the end look like? Look at verse 4 again. I think it's going to come up for us, verse 4. We started soon after our existence with death as the contaminant in our world. 
what happens to this contaminant in the new world? It's gone. Taken away. It's actually killed. It's the death of it. Who does it? How is, uh, think about death and think about God. When he introduced something, when he introduced death into the world as a, as a, as a penal act on the sin of humanity, okay, once he'd done that, he, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't just come along and say, okay, we'll be, we'll be shot. Sorry, uh, <laughs> Stephanie, I'm going to get it back. We'll just get rid of that. Once God had introduced... Look, look, you know what it's like. Hey, you introduce... Let me give you an example. You've got uh, black tea. Okay? You, you guys make tea for each other? Okay? Somebody says, I want black tea. But then when you give it to them, they say, no, I said I wanted white tea. And you know that's a black tea, yeah? Okay, so what do you do? You, you take the milk out of it. Yeah? No, 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 yeah, yeah, because you can't. You can't take the milk out of it. It's impossible. Because what the milk does, it, it integrates with the, with the milk, with the tea, at, is it, I don't know, if it's at the atomic level, I suppose that could be too deep. What, what level? Molecular. Molecular level, thank you. Okay. When God introduced death into our world, at what level did it integrate into human into life existence? At the core level. It can't just be, oh, I'll just take it out now. And so what does God have to do to kill death? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, sort of, sort of, sort of, Charles, but something much more drastic. It does eventually get to that. It does. But something even more. The trouble is, if you've got it there, even if you start again, okay, you're still there. Graham. Yes, there's something even before that. What does he have to do? Yes, how does he get rid of the curse, Michael? By Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Yeah, and before his resurrection, he dies. What he has to do, he has to come into the world himself. He has to all our sins were done what to Jesus? What happened? He, he did what with all our sins? He bore our sins. He, he, he absorbed. He drew. He, he found out. He searched out every trace of death and took it upon himself and did what to it upon himself? He, he killed death in his own death. Can you see the wonder of it? It's the most imaginative, scientific, fictional film you can imagine if it was fiction. That he entered our world, extrapolated every last trace of it, took it upon himself, and killed death in his own death. Such was his power that there was only one way of dealing with it, was but for God himself to die. Do you see that? There's a book written about it by an ancient writer, John Owen. Look, and he calls it, it's a wonderful title, sums it up perfectly. Someone read it. The death of death in the death of Christ. It's lovely, isn't it? Brilliant, isn't it? It's the death of death in the death of Christ. But that's what it took. That's what it took. Your Eternal life in heaven didn't come just at the cost of God starting again. Because that was easy. Okay, how many universities do you think God can make in five seconds? 
Shall I tell you how many? Trillions. Okay? New creation doesn't cost anything to Jesus. But the cross cost him everything. Okay? He paid for it. And so when verse 4 says that there will be no more death, we have to understand that's because Jesus killed death in his death. And so he can say to you and he can say to me, he can say to whoever, whoever, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Friends, death for those who believe and love Jesus is now, because of Jesus' death, a mere portal, a mere doorway, a mere entrance to an existence where there is no more death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul sums it up in like this. He says, when we're finally resurrected, when we finally get our bodies, we're united to it, and we land up on this planet, it's then that we will finally sing this song, it seems, in revelry, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? Where is it? Where's death's victory in the new world? It's gone. Finally, here's the proper use of the word natural. In the new world, we will finally live a natural life. Do you get the point? That's the natural life you were made for. You were not made to age and to decay and to die and to be buried. Death, the death of death. And then finally, and finally, let me move on to my final point. The end of all suffering. Not just death now, but the end of all suffering. He wipe away the tears from their eyes, there'll be no more death. Okay, or mourning or crying, or pain. Can you see what God is doing? Uh, he, he, wants to, he wants to get the extent of, his, of this conversation across. It's not just death now that ends, but it's suffering. How many forms or how many expressions of suffering are eradicated in the new world? All. It's total. It's absolutely total. Every form and expression of suffering that we can envisage, whether we've experienced it personally, whether we know someone's experienced it, or we've seen it on TV, every expression of suffering together with death, because the suffering and the death come hand in hand, they're associated, they came together as a package when Adam fell. There came suffering, remember, by the sweat of your brow. You will toil to make ends meet. And after you sweat and made ends meet, at the end of that you get dead. Okay, so they came together. And so not only death is, de is death destroyed, but every expression of that fall. Look, here's some stats for you. Uh, not, not to depress you, but here's the reality. Do you know that there are over 10,000 diseases? destroying lives in our world. 10,000. 40% of all humans get cancer. 
Stephanie's mum. 40% of all humans get cancer. Worldwide, that are, of, of the marriages that take place worldwide, 50% of them end in divorce. And the couples might find a new partner and find happiness, but they destroyed the lives of that, those children forever. 50% of all marriages break up. 1.3 billion people in 104 developing countries are facing right now whilst I have food beyond that I could, I could eat in a year in my house. Okay? 1.3 billion people across 104 developing countries are suffering such extreme poverty that they have to survive as a family on less than a dollar a day. Despite social media that's supposed to have connected billions of people across the globe, what is, the, what is now an epidemic across the world as a consequence of social media? Loneliness. We're the loneliest generation of people since the beginning of time. Crime? Global. And you know, in a place like Honduras, 90% of the population, 90% will face, experience crime. 90% of the population. And there have been more than 40 active wars around our world over the last couple of years. Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen. I know, particularly in Australia, I'm noticing something about the news here. It's mainly about Australia. <laughs> but look, if you ever listen to global news, there are wars, countless wars. When people are losing houses and and other property and loved ones across our globe. Look, we are suffering in a way that no one can quantify. In fact, look, there's some of the ones you can quantify, but let me tell you about disappointment. You can't quantify. There aren't any stats for disappointment. How about facing being sidelined or being bullied? Struggling to find stats on that. How about, how about just unhappiness? What percentage of the world do you think is unhappy? Just suffering. Depression? Australia comes second on that list. Here's the point. that If it's not one form, then it's another. We face suffering after suffering after suffering. And here's the reality. Jesus says it'll be like that. I know, it's, look, I, I call it a label. It's an over-realized eschatology. When you think that if you're a good enough Christian, your life will be wonderful. You're living on cuckoo land, mate. The most godliest, I can show you the most godliest Christians that have lived, okay? And you read about their lives. They suffered more than any other. Would you agree with me that the Apostle Paul was perhaps the greatest Christian ever to have lived? Would you agree? Remember what Jesus said to him? What would he show him? So when he called him in Acts 9, what did he say he'd show him? Pardon? Thank you. I will show him how much he must suffer. 
You see, they're going hand in hand. So Jesus said, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you, you may have peace in this trouble. Look, if you're living a crazy life when you're trying to get to utopia, you know, that real holy spiritual state, when your life is wonderful and perfect, you're a fool. It's never going to be like that. Because what did Jesus say? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. I said, so let me say like this. If you're not having trouble as a Christian, there's something wrong with your life. Seriously. If you're telling me you've got a wonderful life, you must be backslidden. Seriously. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have to. And, next verse, the closer you want to live to him, the more faithful you want to be to him, the more people you want to reach with the gospel, what? You will be hated. Listen to this. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you. Let me ask you. Do all your, does everybody out there love you? Do they think you're the most wonderful thing? Do you know why? Because you haven't told them about Jesus, have you? Come on, be honest. It's because you haven't told them about Jesus, have you? They don't know you're a Christian, do they? You won't tell them, will you? That's why they love you. You buy yourselves friends at the cost of Jesus. Just try it. The more people we tell about Jesus, the more they hate you, despise you, sideline you, refuse your promotion. Okay? The world, Christian, it's widespread, it's international, it's in every place. The world suffers it. The Christian suffers it. There's untold suffering. But Jesus said, and his most wonderful words, friends, that on the new world, in the new world, there'll be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, because everything is different. Do you see these first books, a few pages of Genesis? Do you know what Jesus does when he gets to heaven? He rips them out. They're gone. He undoes everything. He creates a brand new order where nothing of life now survives into that world. Behold, I'm making everything new. The old things have passed away. Let me finish with this quote, illustration. Rico Tice, we've been doing Christianity Explored here at the church. If you haven't done it, I'd encourage you to do it. I'm quite happy to come and do it with you privately or put another session with you. In one of his sessions, session five, on the resurrection, he speaks about this gentleman that he buried recently. His name is Stuart Sp uh, Spencer, a professional musician who died at the age of 30 from leukemia. And Rico asked him, uh, as he's getting close to death, he, say, he says to him, Stuart, what's it like to die? And he's just days away from death. Stuart, what's it like knowing you're going to die? And Stuart responds, look, he says to him, Rico, Christ has risen. I'm going to stand before God in a few days. Do you realize how precious that is to me? Do you hear that? Rico, I'm going to stand before Jesus in a few days. What's death? Do you know how precious that is? 
that I'm going to face him, see him, touch him. This is what it says. Stuart, Stuart knew he was a sinner. He knew for certain that Christ had died and risen for sinners. And because of that, he knew what awaited him beyond death. A real physical resurrection of his body. A body that will eat and drink, be talked to and touched. A body that will never again see sorrow or suffering or disease or decay. Can you see, friends? We have a future that's unparalleled in relationship to the suffering. No amount of suffering can ever compare to the greatness and goodness of the life that Jesus has got for you and for me. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. A lasting comfort. The death of death. The end of all suffering. That's our future.